doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Michelle about POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. We've spoken to a few guests so far who have POTS, where it's a piece of the overall picture of what they're dealing with, but we've never talked to someone about POTS specifically, where that is their main major pain. And I learned so much in this episode. Michelle did an amazing job. She's very knowledgeable, super fun to talk to, and she really opened my eyes to what POTS is, you know, and what it can feel like to live with. POTS is a disease that affects the blood flow, and it makes itself most known when individuals go from sitting to standing and don't get enough blood flow to their head and can get extremely dizzy and even faint. And your heart rate can get really fast really quickly. Without proper blood flow to the brain, it can make it extremely hard to function. Once you know you have POTS, there are things you can do to help live with the disease, and Michelle does a great job of talking through those. But Michelle was only recently diagnosed, and a huge piece of her story is that she was sick on and off her whole life, and not only did her doctors not take her seriously, but her family didn't take her seriously either. And it's a little heartbreaking hearing her talk about how much that affected her throughout her childhood and young adulthood. She also talks through the incredible validation of finally getting a diagnosis, but then having that moment of realization of, wow, this disease has no cure, and now I need to learn to live with it. Michelle did such a fantastic job of painting a picture about what her life with POTS has been like and how incredible it was to finally get a diagnosis for this thing that had been ailing her for her entire life. And oh man, it was just so much fun. I'm so excited to share it with you. I always invite my guests to plug anything that they want to share at the end of each episode. And uh, after thinking about what she had plugged, Michelle decided after the fact that she'd rather keep it simple and just plug her TikTok. So I'm going to do that right now. You can find her on TikTok at Miscellaneous Musings, and I will tag her on the Major Pain TikTok. So if you already follow us, Major Pain Podcast on TikTok, I will tag her in this week's episode clip, and you can hop right over to her at Miscellaneous Musings. If you are someone that lives with POTS and are looking for someone to reach out to, Michelle said that she'd be happy to communicate with anyone through TikTok. We'll get to our chat with Michelle in just a couple minutes. I have a few things that I want to chat about and a couple of announcements before we get into our episode today. Last week, I mentioned that I have been considering adding a disclaimer to the front of the show, uh, the important points of it being that I and my guests, unless otherwise noted, are not medical professionals, and to not take any medical action based off of what you hear on this show without first talking to your doctor. I actually got some really good feedback about this, uh, so I've decided to move forward with adding this disclaimer. So I actually tried recording it and putting it to the front of the show and exported the episode, took a listen to it, and I've decided that's not exactly how I want to go about doing this. Um, I really like the intro of the show as it is, adding the disclaimer to the very beginning, just really changed the vibe and it just kind of felt wrong. Andy and I listened to it together and both agreed, you know, this is not how I want the episode to start every single time. So what I've decided to do is to just mention at the beginning of every episode during my introduction, my guests and I are not medical professionals and please check with your doctor before taking any medical action based off of what you heard on this show. I'm just going to say it every time instead of pre-recording a message to put at the very beginning. Um, it just feels better for the flow of the show that way. So I've already said it for this episode. So there we go. I'm just going to start adding that to my intros moving forward. 
Of course, sometimes we do have medical professionals on the show. I'll definitely let you know when that happens. And we also happen to have some medical professionals that listen to the show. One of them is India, who wrote me a really great email this week that I want to share with you. India is someone that I met recently when we recorded a podcast episode that is yet to come out, and it was absolutely fantastic. We had a wonderful afternoon chatting with each other. India is actually a retired nurse and a regular listener of the podcast. She listened to our fantastic episode last week with Christelle talking about her brain injury. And Christelle taught me a word that I had never heard before, proprioception. And she mentioned how it is the uh, communication between the brain and the body. And India emailed me because as a retired nurse, she has a lot of medical knowledge and, you know, I don't. <laughs> I'm just a content creator. So she actually sent this email and she says that proprioception, there's a little more to it than what we talked about. It's an awareness of where arms and legs are and how our body is positioned in space. We have proprioceptors in our body. And then she sent me this quote from a Vox article. It says, proprioceptors are sensory receptors located in the subcutaneous tissues. They are capable of detecting motion or movement and position of the body through a stimulus produced within the body. They relay information to the brain when a body part is moving or its position relative to the rest of the body. So, India, thank you for sending in some more specific information. So, proprioception is not just the, the communication of the brain and body. It's a specific type of communication, your, your body relaying to your brain where it is in space, which I thought was super interesting. So, India, thank you again for that expanded information on proprioception. And yes, please feel free anytime you want to share anything with the rest of the listeners, um, anytime you want to use your medical knowledge to help with this community. I'm very excited about that idea. And we'll be speaking with India about her own major pain, which is uh, very complex, but involves chronic migraines and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. We'll be speaking with her very soon on the show. One more thing I wanted to share about last week's episode with Christelle. So, um, just a couple days ago, uh, I saw on Facebook that Christelle has posted a GoFundMe campaign. Since coming on the podcast to tell us her story, Christelle has lost her disability benefits because she has had a slight improvement in her condition. So, this is incredibly unfair. You know, we've talked a lot about how hard it is to get on disability, but it's also very hard to stay on disability. And for someone with an invisible illness, it's so easy for them to just say, well, you've made some improvements, so you don't qualify anymore. And I, it just really broke my heart to see this because Christelle has mentioned that she is in danger of losing her home and has started this GoFundMe campaign. So, I just wanted to share that with the listeners of this podcast. I will put a link in the description of this episode if you would like to contribute. Um, as a way of saying thank you to Christelle for coming on the show and sharing her story, you know, let's, let's help her out in her time of need. As for my own journey with uh, trying to apply for disability and get a diagnosis, um, I did not get a diagnosis as I had hoped to get. I had I've been talking about how there may have been a diagnosis coming around the corner, and unfortunately, it didn't happen. We have to do more testing. My results were not conclusive. The um, the specialist that my my hepatologist checked with was not convinced that I have a copper processing issue. So we got to go back in for more testing. It's going to take a long time. You know, I'm very frustrated, but I'm still hopeful that we're on the right track. And in the meantime, we are opening up some other pathways of exploration. Just, you know, just because this copper thing has not panned out the way that we had hoped, we're going to look into some other things as well. 
So yeah, I'm still on this journey and it is slow, but I will keep you updated as I have more information. I went ahead and appealed my disability decision, which I expect to be denied. You know, I applied to disability and was denied. I feel like it's in large part because I don't have a diagnosis, um, but I, I had to submit the appeal within 60 days. So I went ahead and did that and was hoping to get more information to send into the Social Security Administration from my doctors for this appeal. And we just don't have any concrete information from the doctors yet. So this appeal is likely going to be denied as well. And, you know, it's just going to be a really long, slow, excruciating process. I'm probably going to have to get a lawyer at this point, but I kind of need to wait until I get some concrete information from my doctors. So, you know, just back into this holding pattern that I've been in for years. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I just keep feeling like I have to shoulder this burden. And every time I want to put it down and think I'm going to be able to put it down, I can't. It's like this giant heavy backpack that I keep having to just pick up and readjust and keep carrying. So yeah, so that's what's happening with me. Um, like I said, I'll keep you updated as I know more. We are now moving into December, so Andy and I sat down last night to record our bonus episode for all of our Patreon supporters uh, to release for December, and we had a super good time, we caught up a little bit, and then we answered our uh, question that we got from Laura in the Patreon about thrifting, because Andy is a massive thrifter, she loves thrift shopping, she's gotten me really into it as well, so we had just a fun time talking about what we love about thrifting. Uh, it's a nice half-hour episode that we I just released least today actually for the for the patreon community so if you have not yet joined the patreon and you would like to listen to our bonus episodes there are now two of them to listen to you can head to patreon.com slash major pain podcast i'm super excited to announce that we have a brand new patron this week and not just a patron, but a Patreon producer. This is our third Patreon producer. That is the highest tier of support at $25 per month. I'm so excited to welcome Ensign Q to the Patreon Producers Club. Uh, so this person wanted to remain anonymous and use a, a fun name, <laughs> Ensign Q, because they are a fellow Star Trek nerd. And I have to tell this story real quick. So Ensign Q is actually someone who knows Laura in real life. Laura, one of our patrons, and also someone who was on the show recently when she was talking about social anxiety. And Laura and I go way back. We were friends in high school. Laura is also a big fan of Star Trek The Next Generation, and a friend of hers reached out to her and sent her one of my TikToks, one of my Star Trek TikToks, and said, hey, I know you like Star Trek. You got to see this guy. Um, and it was me. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I know him. I went to high school with him. Um, so then through that connection, uh, this person discovered the show, the podcast, and has become a listener of the podcast as well, and is now our newest Patreon producer. So, Ensign Q, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for signing up to support the show. It means so much. And while we're thanking Ensign Q, we also have to thank Chris Fowler and Steve Cavanaugh. So those are our three Patreon producers who get thanked by name in each and every episode because of the financial contribution they are making to help keep this show running. So Ensign Q, as a new producer, you will receive a uh, tote bag and a coaster made by my mom with the Major Pain logo on them. They are beautiful and they are heading your way as a special thank you for signing up on Patreon. So having this income coming in from the podcast is incredible. And, you know, if I could turn this into a full-time career and just make this podcast indefinitely, that would be an absolute dream. And this Patreon community is helping that to come true. So thank you all so much. We now have more people signed up at the $25 per month producer tier than we do at the $2 per month uh, supporter tier. 
I've had people express to me that they want to support the show, but they felt like $2 a month wasn't enough. And I just want everyone to know that I don't feel that way at all. Anyone supporting the show at any financial level is more than enough. That is so generous and so appreciated. So yes, please don't hesitate to sign up at the lowest tier. Um, that is still extremely appreciated and does get you access to the bonus episodes and a special on-air thank you. So yes, just wanted, I just wanted that to be said. And of course, there is also our $7 per month patron tier, our most popular tier, where you get access to the bonus podcasts and you get a special gift of a major pain coaster made by my mom in the mail. Stay tuned at the very end of the podcast for our Patreon credits, where all of our, uh, our $7 patrons and our $25 producers are thanked by name. And this week, you will hear Ensign Q's name added to that list. Don't forget to leave this podcast a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is an extremely helpful way to support the show. And if you'd like to interact with us on social media, we are on Instagram and TikTok at Major Pain Podcast. All right, well, let's jump into our fantastic conversation with Michelle about POTS, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, Michelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Michelle. Um, I'm 29. Uh, I have POTS. I believe I've had it since birth. Um, I went to undergrad and studied art history and South Asian studies then I uh, got a research grant to live in India for a year and study a modern artist there. Um, then I went to grad school for art history. Um, then I lived in France for a little bit. And then I moved to New York and got a job working at ABC, where I work now. What do you do at ABC? So currently, I work as an archivist. Um, basically, all of the footage that comes in for all of the different shows needs to be organized and formatted so that it's all kind of the same so that editors don't have like the headache of trying to reformat everything. Um, so I handle all of that. And I'm, I love my job. I'm very grateful for it because they're very accommodating and very flexible, um, which is something that I've never experienced before. But I also never had a diagnosis before, so um, I didn't even know what to ask for. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm in a really good place professionally now for like the first time in my life. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and I'm so curious to hear, hear about how that intertwines with your health because working while sick is something that's very relevant to a lot of people that listen to this show. You know, it's something yeah. I haven't figured out yet. You know, besides making this podcast, I haven't been able to... Uh, to hold a job for the last five years due to my health. So I'm really curious to hear about what that's like. You know, everyone's health journey is different. Every health condition is different, obviously. And, you know, I always like to say I don't like to compare anything. I like to learn from other people and kind of, you know, get the full spectrum of experience. So I'm really excited to talk to you today about this. Yeah, I mean, even like healthy people struggle under the restrictions of capitalism. So uh, uh, people with disabilities and unhealthy people, it, there are even more uh, difficulties trying to fit living and surviving um, in a very specific kind of framework. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some people fit within that framework and some people don't, but we're all kind of yeah. forced to because otherwise you don't have money. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. And especially for people, ill people and people with disabilities, you need insurance and you um, need money 
um, especially if you struggle with um, uh, fatigue, uh, like you need that kind of money to be able to spend on just like, I, I literally can't cook tonight. I need to order in. Yes. And like, if you don't have a job, that's just not possible. So um, it's, it's definitely like a double, triple bind. Um, yeah. I, yeah. That's so true. That happens to me where, you know, like Andy's out of town this week and I, if I have a day where I can't feed myself, you know, I text Andy. She lives down the hall. We live, you know, in separate apartments in the same building, which is fantastic. That's actually awesome. Oh, yeah. it's the best. We love it. Yeah, we love yeah. it. Yeah. And she she can come help. But this just happened a couple nights ago where it's like, okay, time to cook dinner. I rested for hours so that I could get up and, you know, feed myself. And I just couldn't. You know, my body's like, nope, yeah. you're not doing it today. And I had to, you yeah. know, order food. And that's like 40 bucks for dinner. And yeah. the alternative is... You know, like when I, when I'm in that state and I don't eat, I just get worse and worse and worse. So you got to take care of yourself. And oftentimes, you know, unfortunately money is the only thing that can fix a lot of these problems. A hundred percent. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that, um, in America, like, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I feel like people go undiagnosed, but I feel like in America, there's this idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And I feel like so much of having an invisible disability is struggling with um, not being able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps because you don't have the energy, you don't, you don't know, you don't have the resources, you don't have the physical resources to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of shame associated with it. And that's also part of why I think a lot of people, um, with less clear diagnoses go undiagnosed for so long. I know I like for a lot of my life, um, just hid, hid my, everything that was wrong and literally no one knew, um, other than like me and my family, because it was shameful to not be able to get up, to not be able to cook for myself, to have to order food. Um, that, you know, was me being irresponsible with my money or being, um, you know, spoiled or whatever it was. So I think there's like a lot of reasons why, like, we'll definitely talk about, you know, doctors gaslighting. Um, but, uh, I think a major reason why at least people in America struggle, um, to get diagnoses for a lot of these things that are a little bit more wishy-washy, um, are because of, of, you know, this mentality of do it yourself, use your bodily resources. Um, and that of course, inevitably feeds into things like ageism. If you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, anyway, yeah. uh, I well, kind of rattled speak on my but... language. No, I, I, I'm into it. I'm with you. Um, I live this reality as well. So I, you're speaking to it very astutely and you even use language that a recent guest used. This theme is coming up again. This idea of you know this this American ideal of ind- individualism, independence, and how there is so much value in that, but at the same time there is so much harm that can be done in that if if you focus on that too hard. You know, it's like yes, as someone who uses a wheelchair, I greatly value my independence, but at the same time. I need there to be social services that help me out. You know, I applied for disability and couldn't get it and I can't hold a job right now. So I'm basically just like, I ha- if I didn't have friends and family supporting me, um, I'd be, I, I would, wouldn't have a home. Like I'd be, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be couch surfing or 100%. I'd be on the street, you know? And there's so many people 100%. with 
um, chronic health issues that end up without a home. And, you know, where I want to focus on your story today, but um, I'm getting a little worked up because you are speaking to something that is very personal to me that that I experience. And it's really important to talk about because this is like just a hole in American society that people fall into. No, absolutely. I mean, um, I actually say all the time, um, if uh, my family hadn't had money when I was growing up, I 100% believe I would be homeless. Um, I 100% believe I would be a drug addict. Um, and that is absolutely the fact that I am neither of those things as absolutely a situation as a, as a matter of circumstance. I have mm. no doubt in my mind. And that's why literally no judgment ever comes from me for any of those situations. Because like when you do not have the ability to use your body um, or capitalism basically doesn't have the ability to use your body. Mm. What are you like? If you if you can't make money to spend it, what are you within capitalism? Um, and yeah, without without those physical resources, without being able to grind, you know, rise and grind, without being able to do all nighters. Um, and like we'll talk, I'm sure, about like the fact that my life, like before I got my diagnosis, just kept falling apart, and I had no idea why. Um, it, it's it is it is impossible without money and and like within the system that we currently live in and like i know like i'm a, i'm a part of um like pots forums online no one gets disability and that's what's so frustrating about like arguments about like public resources on you know certain networks is that like people do not people that actually need it do not get disability it is nearly impossible and the the frustrating part about it is that it's supposed to be for people who have impairments. So if you have no energy and uh, like, God forbid you have a mental, like a, a, a mental impairment, like if you do not have the resources to like work a job, how are you going to get through this minefield of paperwork and <laughs> yeah. then getting a lawyer? And like, so you don't have a job. You have to get a lawyer to appeal. Um, like, how are you supposed to do any of these things? Um, it's just not like, it is certainly not as easy as they make it out to be. Um, and, and people that I know that need it do, cannot get it. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that just happened to me on my first application I was denied and now I have yep. 60 days to appeal and I haven't even started the process because like, it's, I, exhausting. it's overwhelming and exhausting and just like my functionality is so different day to day. I never know which day I'll be able to do anything. So it's like, is this the day yeah. I'm going to appeal for disability? And I'm also still waiting on a potential diagnosis. And if I get a diagnosis, I, I'm never going to get disability um, if it's treatable. Uh, but then it's also like, mm -hmm. you know, the diagnosis that I might get is treatable sometimes. So I might still need disability. And it's just, it's just such a headache. And my brain is only functional a couple of hours a day. And I'm like, I can't, yeah. I can't get this done. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, insane. it's, it is, I, I feel that it's designed specifically to not allow people to get it. Um, and like, I know you were just talking about how, like, you never know what day, what kind of day you're going to have. It is impossible. Like, it is impossible to schedule. It is impossible to schedule. Yeah. Like it, this is branching out a little bit, but it's like, there are so many things that isolate and alienate people with um, mental and physical illnesses. And one of them is like, you want to make plans with friends. 
<laughs> probably going to cancel them. Yeah. Probably going to cancel them. You, you, you want to like set aside a day to work on your disability claim. Maybe yeah. like may, it might, it might happen. Yeah. Might not. Um, and, and if you can imagine like what having a job is like is with, with that kind of mentality where you're like straight up is today going to be a day where I'm 80% is today going to be a day where I'm 20 and you just don't know, like, it is very hard for an employer to look at that and be like, that's the kind of employee I want because yeah. unless it's unless and and like for as horrible as COVID was, the fact that it has pushed teleworking is so incredible. Um, like for the disability community, yeah. um, because it just was not a thing before. I I knew one person who had partial telework. Um, like unless you're like, I don't know, someone like calling people during the day, I guess, and trying to sell Verizon, like there were just no options. Um, and it just seemed like, I, I don't know. Anyway. So, yeah. um, I hear you. I mean, this is all like really important, really relevant stuff. And it's, it's all a part of this, like this, uh, cycle of, you know, I don't even know what to call it. The cycle of chronic illness where, the struggle cycle, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And especially on top of that, you're dealing with the medical establishment if you're someone who's having a hard time getting diagnosed. So I know that you've been through that. Let's talk about that. I know that you've gone through this journey where you didn't have a diagnosis for most of your life. So let's skip to the end uh, and tell me, Michelle, what is your major pain? Yes. So I have POTS. Whoa. Okay. So POTS, <laughs> it is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And the joke of what that means is I am a human level. Um, if you like know what a level is when you're doing construction. Um, basically, when a healthy person stands up, um, their gravity works to pull their blood down to their like feet and hands but their heart rate slightly elevates and their blood vessels constrict to keep blood up and towards the head and all around the body. But my blood vessels don't constrict. So um, basically what happens is my blood stays down, um, pulled down by gravity, and um, my heart rate jumps up to try to compensate for it. Um, on a bad day, it doubles. And um, if I stand still for four minutes, I pass out um, because there's no blood going to my head. Wow. And um, why you might ask with such a, with such an obvious uh, symptom, um, was I never diagnosed? Um, and uh, so I've never fainted before. And the reason why is because one of the mechanisms, basically my entire life, I've come up with a bunch of coping mechanisms to compensate for this issue with my body. Hmm. And um, one of the coping mechanisms is to use your, mus your muscles in your body to push your blood around. Hmm. And, um, I literally never stand still. I never sit still. I'm constantly um, constricting portions of my, so like when I'm seated, my legs are always crossed. I cannot sit um, with my legs like normal um, because when you cross like portions of your body, you're basically pushing your blood up. Um, wow. So I basically came up with all of these um, strategies, um, not only like constantly like pacing and um, 
like crossing my limbs, but also like I was notorious in grade school for lying down all over people's like houses. Like if they were having a party, I would just lie down in the kitchen um, <laughs> because when you're horizontal, your blood is able to go everywhere that it needs to go. So it's okay. it, like the most important thing is it being near your head and your heart. Um, because, you know, six minutes without uh, blood in your head gives you brain damage. Um, yeah. So uh, we actually, one of the very few questions that goes unanswered in the POTS forum is, uh, does anyone think we're getting brain damage from this? Because no one really wants to address that one. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so it causes a multitude of symptoms. It's not just um, lightheadedness and, and dizziness um, most of the time. It's also... Um, it affects your cognition. Um, a lot of people with POTS have uh, focus issues. They have brain fog issues because there's not enough blood flow. It affects um, digestion because, again, where your when your blood gets when you eat something, blood immediately rushes to your stomach. But if you're standing upright, it doesn't necessarily do that. So then, um, people often struggle with like all IBS symptoms. Um, you can also get nausea. You can get uh, vomiting. Um, there, you get migraines. Like there, it, it affects every single portion of your body. Um, and the biggest issue, probably other than focus for me, is fatigue because essentially all the time I'm having like a heart event. Um, and if you can imagine, like. And, you know, I was misdiagnosed a few times. If One of one of the misdiagnoses was anxiety. Um, if you can imagine, like, the worst panic, panic attack, um, when my symptoms are at, my, at the worst, that is what my body feels like. And my brain's like, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, wonder, I wonder what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so just, like, crazy heart rate all the time. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I, I can go, I can start going into a little bit of, uh, my medical journey and also like the realization. Yeah. Um, I do yeah, want to get how. into that. I, I have a couple yeah. questions before we do. Sure. Yeah. How do you diagnose POTS? Yes. So it's actually, uh, okay. So, uh, the, the gold standard, um, for diagnosing it is called the tilt table test. And basically what they do is because your muscles can kind of act as like, pseudo blood circulators mm -hmm. they suspend you on a table so that your muscles are totally inactive and they start you off at 90 degrees like parallel with the floor and then slowly tilt you to uh be perpendicular with the floor and the the test can last up to a half hour long and it was so funny because everyone that was giving me the test was like nothing's gonna happen it's no big deal like just a formality and um yeah, I my heart rate doubled in less than four minutes. So, okay. so the tilt they table like, they look they're looking for your heart rate to to rise exactly. as you get more perpendicular. So the the exact um, way to diagnose it is if your heart rate increases by more than thirty beats per minute when you stand up. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, this is so interesting to me because I've we've talked to a couple people on the show that have POTS as a comorbidity with another yeah. condition and we've never just really focused on pots and it's something that i i i had like a vague understanding of it this is filling in a lot of the gaps for me so this is awesome you obviously have researched i mean if you're anything like me <laughs> searching my whole life for a diagnosis 
I read a lot about the things that I'm diagnosed with, you know, cause I'm like looking to kind of, um, explain my own story. You know, I'm like, it's like you, you are the author of your own story, but you are missing a huge piece of the information about yourself as a character. So you like go back yeah. and try to figure out yourself by learning yeah. about the disease itself. And I, I can tell that you've done that. A hundred percent because, you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but, um, basically like my whole life, I had this idea of why I was the way that I was. I was just, I was fat. I was lazy. I was just, you know, not a good person. I just couldn't get my stuff together. And, um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to curse on here. Go for um, it. <laughs> okay. I couldn't get my shit together yeah. and I, and it was my fault and I couldn't figure out why. And then when I figured this out, um, and I, and I like four things had to happen for me to like, be like, Oh, sh Oh my God, that's definitely what it is. Um, I had to entirely reframe my entire life because I had, and, and it was so freeing for me to get that diagnosis because all of the things that I had been blaming myself for, for my whole life, suddenly I was like, Oh, that's a literally a disability that no one, like that very few people experience. And this isn't just something like it is not nor these things are not normal and it's not something that other people can overcome and I can't and it's not about willpower and it's not it's it's about none of those things it's literally like my blood vessels don't close mm. and my heart freaks out and that's it and like wow I I'm free of this like emotional burden oh my god I, yes <laughs> yeah so like I I'm I'm still waiting on this test result. I finally have had the test done, but now I can't get in touch with my doctor. And I was taking a shower the other day and it's just like, it's so hard to stand. And yes. I'm just like... Showers are tough. People you know, that... Oh, yeah. It is, it I'll is go rough. days without sometimes. Yeah, um, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so hard to stand in the shower most of the time. And then I was having this one day that was like a really good day where I was like, wow, I'm standing in the shower and I feel good. And then every time that happens, I go to this place of like, is this just because I was already in a good mood and am I creating this whole thing? And then I'm like, man, if this test result comes back positive, I'll never have to have this conversation with myself again. And my yeah. desire for that is so strong that I have to just kind of close it off and not feel it. And because if I, if I think about that all the time, I can't function, you know, it's just like the unfairness of not knowing what's going on in my own body is so overwhelming. And I, you know, I've lived with that for most of my life, um, on and off in severity. Like I've had these long periods in between where it was, you know, uh, I was functionally pretty normal. Manageable. Um, yeah. 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 And then I'll like flare up and I'll have these long periods where I'm stuck at home. Um, so I've lived like both lives throughout yep. my life but i'm really curious to hear your story and see like what is the shape of your story you know as we go back and talk through it yeah and i mean that's also one of the things that um is so isolating because people don't believe you um, right because you have those good periods and right. you have you can put yourself together for a time and um then you disappear and you are unreliable and selfish and, and uh, like any number of things. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, as soon as, and, and I so understand that because as soon as you have a name to it, people are like, Oh, Michelle is, can't come because of this. Right. And it's not because she is, she is in a flaky friend. 
it is because she she has a disability and does not have the energy and physically cannot and wishes she could be like there's having that explanation I I truly and it sucks that it is this way that people don't have that well like who knows what's going on with her attitude but um like I have so many stories. I, I lived with someone for a short period and they said that they lost all respect for me after living with me um, because I was so good at hiding my bad days and only showing my good days that they were like, oh yeah, all you do all day is just lie around. And I was like, yep. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you got to recharge your body so you can, so you can mask publicly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like when I got diagnosed, my partner initially did not understand why I was so happy. He was like, you got a disability diagnosis. <laughs> why are you so happy? And I was like, you don't get it. Like yeah. every, every moment of my life, like has been a struggle and I have thought it was my fault. Right. And everyone has told me it was my fault right. and it is no longer my fault. And I am free. It like, never was. It right. never was your fault. And right. you, you have the, the, uh, the definition of an invisible illness. And, you know, this yes. is something that I, I will never feel like I'm done talking about is that when, you know, people that live with these invisible Ill- illnesses and talk about it all the time and it affects their lives all the time are just ignored, just ignored. It's like, well, you went to the doctor and they said you were fine, so you're just lazy. And it's like, how many doctors have I been to before we found, we finally found evidence of something wrong, you know? When I was 36, we finally found some blood results off. And I'd been misdiagnosed with so many things. Like, I'd been diagnosed with with fibromyalgia, with Lyme disease, with uh, conversion disorder, um, I'm for, I know I have at least five and I, I'm forgetting others, but, um, yeah, but yeah, it's like, a- until you find a test result, it doesn't exist, which is yes, so I, <laughs> backwards. It's so backwards. Yes. yes. Um, I literally want to frame my, uh, tell table test because it, it, <laughs> it is, it is, it is the proof. It yeah. is like the proof that I'm not a piece of shit, you know, like. <laughs> Like it is literally it. And I, and I didn't tell my family um, about my diagnosis until I got the tilt table test because they, part of the reason why this hasn't happened until I turned 29 is because not only have doctors gaslighted me my whole life, but also my family. Mm. And um, so so I was like, they won't believe me unless I have a doctor, a doctor say it's true. Um, right. so I waited until I had that and I screenshotted it and sent it to them. They were like, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. It's so upsetting because like every doctor has a different opinion. And so mm-hmm. many of these diagnoses of invisible illness end up being diagnoses of exclusion and are mm, clinical yes. diagnoses where it's like, I'm going to poke you in a couple places and say that you have fibromyalgia. You know, that's what happened to me. Um, and yeah, it's just so, it's so frustrating because you, I've talked to like dozens of doctors and almost all of them say you don't have fibromyalgia, but there was that one that said that I did, you know, seven, whatever years yep. ago. So yeah, when, you, when, you're, when you're presenting this information to the people around you, they see it through their filter of reality and decide what's true in your body and ignore everything yeah. else as well. Not just your doctors doing that, but your family and your friends doing that. And when you yeah. don't have the, when you don't have a, a, a concrete diagnosis, you know, when you tell me I have POTS, I believe you because you say it with authority, you know, because you have the test result and you now know it. 
throughout your body. Like it, it lines up with your experience and you now live in that reality. And when you don't have that, when you tell some someone that you have something else, like who knows if they're even going to listen to you. So yeah, yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you navigate that world? It's, it's infuriating. You just like, for me, I just learned to hide it for so long and that mm-hmm. caused a lot of damage for me. You know, yes. it meant, it meant that I spent a lot more time alone and isolated than I needed to. And starting yeah. this podcast has completely changed my perspective on this because it's like, yeah, we're all living alone and silently and we're all, you know, living uh like isolated right next to each other we're all like right next to each other but we're all completely alone in this thing when you can just like if we talk about it if we open up then you connect with other people who experience it because it's common it is common to be gaslit by doctors to go undiagnosed for a really long time if you have anything that is at all hard to diagnose it's more likely than not that you're going to have to see dozens of doctors over the course of years to find answers Yep. And if you're poor or living in a rural area, how's that going to happen? Right. Totally. And of course, there's all these like societal biases that come on top of that, which we could talk about for days. But let's go back to the beginning of your story. (laughs) So how young were you when you first started noticing these symptoms? So the reason why. Okay. So um, I think that I can't remember a time where I did not have symptoms. And so either it was from birth or um, something about POTS, um, which is why actually a lot of people are getting it post-COVID, it often comes after a severe viral illness. Oh, wow. Um, I, so I've a lot never of these COVID, yeah. So a lot of these COVID long haulers are getting POTS oh, wow. um, because, yeah, which is actually exciting because it means more research will happen, which is, mm. which is very cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it often occurs after like, also after pregnancy or after giving birth. Like if there's like a severe medical thing that happens, you can okay. often, which is why POTS is so often a comorbidity. Um, yeah. you, it can often onset. Gotcha. Um, so I, at the age of four, so either I was born with it or it onset at the age of four, um, which is my first like conscious experience of dealing with doctors. Um, I got a leg infection, toxic synovitis in my leg. And we went to the emergency room because I couldn't walk. And the first emergency room that we went to, the doctor said that I was faking it. The second emergency room that we went to, the doctor said that I had bad gas. And then the third emergency room that we went to, they admitted me for two weeks. And wow. uh, yeah, so I had to, to get that sorted out. Um, but that's like my first introduction, uh, obviously, other than getting born um, into the medical, the medical world. A child that can't walk. Okay, you had a leg infection that they thought was gas. Uh, they they just didn't believe me. Okay, yeah. That I that I that I was in so much pain that I couldn't walk. They wow. didn't see anything physically wrong with me, and so they said I was either faking it or had gas. Second one said I had gas. Um, and then uh, yeah, the third one it admitted <laughs> me, and I was in the hospital for two weeks. That's in- incredibly um, incredibly annoying. I so. As far as I so saw, obviously, we don't know too much about POTS. There's, there's research that needs to be done. Um, is there evidence that it can, you can be born with POTS or, or do we just not know? Yes. So there is, um, basically, it can either like onset after like a severe medical event or you can have a genetic predisposition, hmm. predisposition to it. Okay. And after like, I sent my results to my dad and had a conversation with him because we don't talk very often. Um, He was like, oh, (laughs) 
(laughs) my dad is 65. Um, he was like, that's interesting. And I was, so he, he probably also has it. Um, pots. Yes. Um, and, uh, for men, it seems to present a little bit less intense than for women because they think because men have more in like, um, musculature and because of that, they're able to push their blood around more easily than women who have to build it up a little bit more, Hmm. um, just inherently. Um, but that's just like a theory again, like most of the people that are known to be affected are young women, um, which is probably why it's so under-researched. Um, And so, yes, so that was my first introduction. Um, Either it was, I got it from birth from my dad, or I had a predisposition to get it. And I got it after my toxic synovitis. Okay. So let me, let me just introduce my, my family because it's going to to play a large role. Um, My family is, uh, I don't know how to put this. They did, they're, they're, they're sexist. And um, they, really wanted they don't listen to women and they wanted me to be thin Hmm. um and when i was a child my mom noted that i was less active than my brothers um this was probably due to fatigue um and so my mother was like okay so let's enroll her in as many sports as we can Hmm. and that is fine it actually built up my muscles um, pretty significantly. When I say like a lot of sports, I mean, I was doing during one summer, 12 hours of sports a day. Um, and so I was a very muscular little child and pretty, pretty asymptomatic at that point. I still remember always lying down, being frequently dizzy, um, struggling with like sitting, like I went to a very strict private school where they, they, would constantly be telling me to uncross my legs and I could not focus and didn't understand why. Um, and so I, I was a little bit symptomatic, but it wasn't severe until I went to high school and started like having an actual schedule and couldn't be in sports 24 hmm. seven. And, um, when that happened, I started getting much more severe symptoms. Um, oftentimes with POTS, uh, depression, um, is common. That happened to me. Um, also, symptoms can be um, intensified by hormonal shifts. So, like when I, you know, hit puberty, symptoms got significantly worse. Um, and thing, I started having really bad flare-ups. And um, there was a year in high school where I threw up literally every day, um, and I could not. Um, I had to lie down on the floors in classes and, um, I was, I couldn't sleep. I had to like sit, like kind of like be at a 45 degree angle because I had so much stomach pain. And, um, at this time, so I guess I I wanted to talk a little bit about how like doctors are invalidating and doctors do gaslight you. But I think a something that doctors don't take into account is when a child is coming from a home where they don't have advocates, like their parents are not their advocate. Yeah. Um, not believe I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a way to put this like a child that has been like, I remember very vividly as a child telling my mom that I always had back pain. And she said to me as a young fit child, 
everyone has back pain. So literally like with every single symptom in my household, um, it was either because I was fat or everyone had it. Mm. Um, and I was not like, I, I was not that overweight. Like I, I'm not a, uh, anyway, it, they have a very specific, my mom weighs like 105 pounds. So they have like a very specific idea of like what a woman should look like and, um, how a woman should be. Um, and so when you go to the doctor and your parent is not your advocate and you've been told your whole life that whatever you're experiencing isn't that bad and everyone experiences it. Um, I, I don't know how to say it. Like I would say it's bad. And in order to get a doctor to take you seriously to begin with, you need to be like, it's terrible. Like yeah. every day is a living hell. Like I wake up and I can't function and it's horrible. <laughs> and then they're like, are you seeking drugs? Right. And it's like, there's like no, there's like no in between. There's no in between. Like for someone who is born with something or struggled with something their whole life, what is the baseline? There is no baseline for right. what comfortable, no pain, no symptoms are. So mm. you have a baseline. Your baseline is you know, I, in comparison to other people, I can't function, but maybe that's just me. I, I don't know. Um, well, and then, yeah. If everyone's sorry, like on. doubting you your whole life, when you present right. this information to the doctor, you are afraid of him doubting you or he or she yeah. doubting you as a child. Yeah. yeah. So then you also kind of, that fear is present in what you are saying. And doctors almost always interpret that as fabrication, you know? Right. Yeah. And like, I know my, my mom isn't going to back me up. Um, mm. like, and like, I remember going to the doctor when I was 15, like bef actually before this whole year of throwing up started. And I was like, I'm really struggling with focus issues. And she was like, well, did you have bad grades when you were in grade school? And I said, no. And she's like, well, it's not ADHD. <laughs> And that was like the end of the, the end of it. And I was like, okay, like even like, okay, A, like, thank you for hearing me out. Thank you for making me feel heard. And B, like, I, like the assumption on my part as an adult is she thought that I was trying to get Adderall to sell to other kids. But like, <laughs> even like, that's my assumption because I was so quickly dismissed um, that like literally what else could have happened? Because if she actually cared and actually listened that to the fact that I cannot read unless I like strap myself to a book and like every single word is an effort. Like if she actually heard that and the symptoms didn't happen to match ADHD, then why wasn't she looking for other possibilities? Um, yeah, totally. So you don't have ADHD. You're good to go. That's the only okay, thing. Bye. It's like, that doesn't actually solve the problem is the focus. I don't care what the diagnosis is. There is only um, one disease and it is right. ADHD. And if you don't have it, you're healthy. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, I, like I, I grew up in a, in a, in a home where I was constantly being gaslit. I go to the doctor, they say nothing's wrong. Um, in that year when I was, could not keep food down, like literally, would throw up so fast. Like I would drink water and it would come up cold. Like that's how, how messed up my system was. Um, and I was getting literally every test done in the book. I got, you know, a colonoscopy at 17. I got a barium test, which is horrible. Mm. I got all of these tests done. And at the end of it, they were like IBS and stress. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, um, that's the thing. And we, we touched on it a little bit, um, how you'll have period flare ups periods where it's really bad. Um, and if you don't know that it is a disability, something that, um, can compound if you keep pushing yourself through it because you're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and you can push through it. Um, it just makes things worse. Um, and so I went to college again, like desperately hiding, um, all of these symptoms. There was a period where I thought I was going blind. Um, I came to find out later that, um, in another flare up time, like a couple years ago, I was getting daily migraines, but they started out as just aura. Are you familiar with migraines with aura? I am, but tell tell us yes. about it in case any listeners aren't. So migraines are sometimes accompanied with something called aura, which is um, it it presents it can present differently in different people, but it's essentially like you can't see out of portions of your eye, and um, sometimes aura can present without any pain. So suddenly you're just having vision problems, like you just can't see. And then it goes away and then it comes back and goes away and comes back. So when that happened, I was like, my retinas are definitely detaching. Mm. And I went to the eye doctor. They were like, your retinas are fine. I went to, I got an MRI. They were like, nothing's wrong with your brain. Um, it is weird that you're getting daily migraines, but nothing's wrong with your brain. Um, but that's what it is. It's migraines. It's not your eyes. So, um, and there can be all sorts of visual disturbances, right? Like I, I have this like flashing white light in the Mm -hmm. far left corner of my left eye that has, we still don't know what it is. I've had it since uh, my early twenties. And when I first got it, they thought it was migraine aura. Um, Mm -hmm. but, and they thought that my headaches were migraine related, but I have just a constant pain on the right side of my head that I've had for over a decade. And I finally asked the doctor, I was like, I'm like, do migraines do that? And they're like, no. I said, then why do you keep telling me this is a migraine? You know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry. Migraine or like some people see it as like kind of lightning or static. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. For me, it was kind of like, um, I don't know, just grayness, mm. um, kind of like a big floaters. I just like couldn't see out of portions of my eye and would have to lie down. Yeah. Um, and so all of these things are happening. I got it, my first diagnosis at 21 of bipolar because mm. I was experiencing depression. And then my sleep issues, my heart racing, my um, like, like staying up late and having good periods was manic. Um, so that was the initial diagnosis. Oh, wow. Then added on to that. So, and I actually started taking at the time Lexapro. Um, wow. Yes. Um, which actually, funnily enough, um, antidepressants can help POTS. So that's mm. why I thought it was working. Yeah. Um, really interestingly. Um, it's, uh, anyway, so that was the first diagnosis. And I was like, great, it's solved. I just have a mental, mental health issue. Um, and then another 
couple of years went by and an ADHD diagnosis was added onto that because I had still been having focus issues for you know, <laughs> it is ADHD. 10 more years. <laughs> right. It's definitely ADHD. Wow. Um, I'm, I just have to stop you for a second and say like being disbelieved by your, not just your doctors, but your family for your entire life would make anyone depressed, you know? And then this is a yeah. really interesting misread of your, um, of your symptom picture, because we're talking about clinical diagnoses. This is a yes. doctor saying, oh, well, the fact that you are sometimes good and sometimes not is a manic state. That's a really interesting conclusion to jump to. Like, in the lack of any answers, I could see how a doctor is trying to find anything to fit in these in this symptom picture. Because, I mean, you know, POTS is, is much more well known now, but I feel like it's just kind of coming into the general uh, medical lexicon um, you know, there's a lot of diseases that are kind of making their debut recently. hundred <laughs> percent. So yeah. POTS was actually named as a diagnosis in 1991, which was the year I was born. Wow. So okay. it's pretty recent. Pretty new. Yeah. Um, I'm convinced that like, I mean, obviously hysteria was a blanket diagnosis for most women it, yeah. uh, for anything over, over time. But like, you'll see in paintings, like men holding up women and them fainting. And I'm like, yo, that's, that's POTS. That's definitely POTS. <laughs> You've solved the fainting couch. <laughs> right? Am I right? Seriously. Oh, man. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, when you think, yeah. we, I always think about like, you know, previous generations with chronic illness, you know, that's a really interesting one. But yeah, Absolutely. I, I, I can't imagine the feeling of being a, you know, a kid and then a teenager and then a young adult just being completely disbelieved by everyone around you. I mean, you must have just felt like you were going crazy all the time. The way that I interpreted how my family treated me was that was that um, everything that happened was my fault. And um, like my my mother, like my parents just shouldn't have had kids because they could not handle it. Hmm. But like my mother, like any symptom, any problem that I had was a burden hmm. and for her and not an opportunity to make things better for me. Mm. Um, so I, it, and if I brought anything up, it was an opportunity for ridicule. Like for example, um, I actually wet the bed pretty late as a child. It's actually a common symptom for children with focus issues. Um, and like, I remember very vividly as a child, like talking about it and my dad just laughing at me. And like, this is like the, like I, it's, it's so hard to describe, um, especially now because they just don't believe it happened. They're just like that, that stuff never happened. And I'm like, it definitely happened. Wow. It a hundred percent happened. It's maddening. Um, it is maddening. And like, it's so funny because my parents managed to be the most overbearing, um, neglectful, uh, combination. Like it's, it's almost impossible to be that overbearing yet neglectful. Um, <laughs> but like my, when I was very young, I remember my brother, um, walking up to me and saying, why are you always lying down? You look sick. And like, he was like 13 and like my parents never, ever made that observation. Wow. Um, so he's, he's it's more observant than your doctors, apparently more observant, but still in an accusatory and right. degrading way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like so, being sick is not the fault of the patient. No, but unless you, it, it's, it's, yeah, 
but you know, he is a kid and he also sucks, but, um, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm really sorry to hear that I, you didn't yeah. have that support. And it makes me so yeah. grateful for my family, you know, like I, when I was growing up and, you know, I had a big flare up in my, in high school. Um, and my parents took me seriously, you know, they took me to a lot of doctors and doctors weren't able to figure me out. And my parents continued to take me seriously. And that is incredible. So thank you, mom and dad. Um, I appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, my parents, it's, it's so hard to describe them without, you know, 15 hours of a therapy session. Um, but what they desired most is for everything to look okay to yeah. other people. And that, like, for the, that to happen. Prosperity. Exactly. Like the lie of my child is successful and absolutely healthy and thin and a normal girl. Mm. And this is, you know, I'm going to have three children that are lawyers and we're all going to make all this money. Um, just like having these accomplishments and having everything swept under the rug was yeah. so crucial for them. Um, and yeah, like there was just nothing that I, even to this day, like when other people are hanging out with me and my parents, they're like, it is, it is shocking the amount of times that they just don't listen to the things that you're saying. And I'm like, yeah, they just, <laughs> they don't, they just don't listen to me. And I'm not a dumb or like, you know, I'm not a person who doesn't know what they're talking about. Like I, I generally know what I'm talking about. Um, they, for some reason, don't take me seriously, probably because I'm just constantly calling them out on their shit. Um, it's just yep. the way that it is. It's so tough because there are some people that you can just never change their behavior. And, yeah. you know, I've known you for an hour. You're obviously very intelligent. You obviously know a lot about what we're talking about. Um, you know, nobody who's lazy knows this much about anything. <laughs> so you're obviously not a lazy person, you know? Um, yeah. And, I, and it's also like, what ultimate, what I really like, I will never call my child lazy because what ultimately does lazy mean? What does lazy mean for a child? Because children aren't lazy. They're discouraged. They are, if they have a disability, there's something wrong medically, like maybe something is too scary. Maybe they're, they have like some type of like, there's a bullying situation. Like what exactly is preventing a child from doing something? Because if a child is properly motivated and given like, you know, everything they need to do something, why wouldn't they do it? Hmm. Like, yeah. I don't understand what lazy means for a child. Like it doesn't mean anything. Like if, if a child doesn't have the energy to do anything, um, to call them lazy without examining the why is very unfair. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, even if like this person is, you know, just into video games, like the world isn't built for people who are just into video games, but like you can make a career out of that. That's oh, yeah. not like a, a, a dead end. Like there oh, are people all, like all over Twitch, like making it I, happen. So I'm into that stuff. I watch people that make six figures playing Mario, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I love that. So, I mean, that's the thing is like find uh, everybody's interested in something, you know, if you find exactly. the thing that you're interested in and pursue it with your full heart, you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, the only adults in my life that when I was a child that actually listened and cared about me was my coach, um, my tennis coach, 
but that, of course, was wrapped up with my physical performance, hmm. um, which, which again, caused a lot of problems. So pretty much everyone just calling me lazy my whole life was so internalized that I literally ignored most of my physical symptoms um, for 29 years because I was like, oh, that's just me being lazy, like 100%. Like th- me, like standing up and feeling dizzy. Oh, I haven't eaten today. Um, that's my fault. Uh, low blood sugar. Um, like just like all of these explanations away that had been ingrained with me in me since childhood. So when I went to a psychiatrist and was like, here are my mental symptoms. Um, I can, un- I can absolutely understand them only with that information being like, okay, it's bipolar. Hmm. Um, but yeah, fascinating diagnosis. Yeah. Um, a few years later, ADHD. A few years after that, anxiety added on. And then um, recently, um, I was able to figure it out by myself, <laughs> um, <laughs> of course. Uh, because, uh, you know, the thing that's interesting about POTS is that I have gotten a healthy, like, bill, like a, a a wonderful bill of health, like most of my life, except for those like few year periods where I was just like incredibly ill. And like, they take your, your blood pressure and your heart rate. Every time you go to the doctor, Mm -hmm. they never take it when you're standing up. Mm -hmm. And, um, it would be such an easy thing to add to like a, it just literally two seconds because that's the, like the poor man's tilt table test is, is basically you just taking a heart monitor and standing up. That's it. You would just blew my mind. That's like, it. That's all that's, it takes. That's the, that's it. Add that in. Why are we doing that? I, literally, <laughs> I know. I, I literally, I lived with a person training to be a physician's assistant and she did an exam on me in our home as an assignment and like did not. And she knew like, like everything that was going on with me, the fact that I was always in bed, like mostly like bedridden. Um, she, she saw everything. She lived with me and she did not see it. So, wow. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's why we're doing this I, today. I believe... Spread awareness, <laughs> spread awareness. Absolutely. Cause you, everybody who just heard you say that can ask their doctor, Hey, do you mind taking my blood pressure when I stand up and see if it changes? Yes. What doctor's going to say heart no rate. to that? Absolutely. And you can even get a heart rate monitor on Amazon for $20. Wow. And all you have to do is lie down like fully on the, like, on a bed or a couch for 10 minutes to get everything like down Mm -hmm. and then stand up and don't fidget, cross your legs or cross your arms and see what happens. And if your heart rate goes up more than 30 beats, you have a diagnosis friend. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) Cause something I worry about with myself and with the listenership of this show is um, a little bit of like, I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac because I don't have mm. a diagnosis. Diagnosis, yeah, totally. Um, just worrying about like <laughs> so many times I'm talking to somebody about their disease, disease and thinking to myself, "Do I have that?" <laughs> yeah. And this is one that you can test yourself, people. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's stupid how easy it is to test for because it doesn't even cost the doctor any money. Like literally, they have the heart rate monitor on you stand up, like see what happens. Um, it is, uh, I mean, the POTS is more common than lupus. It's more common than Parkinson's. So where's the, where is the awareness? Where is 
because unless you go to a very specific kind of cardiologist, you're not going to get a diagnosis. It's not going to happen. I love that. That's like one of those little gems that, um, you know, that makes this show so exciting to do is because there's just so much information out there that is not common knowledge, that is simple and easy and effective. Um, and let's let's just share it by sharing it ourselves because, you know, the medical establishment is not there for us in these moments. No. Um, and on the one hand, like, it is like, obscene that it's that easy on the other hand it's like dang if i had gotten like a fitbit when they were popular uh, i would have yeah. figured this out i like, could have done this when ago. i was five years old and it wouldn't have been i know instead of telling me that i was making up my leg pain that i yeah instead of telling me that it was beans <laughs> and that i was farty you could have tested my blood my my heart rate when i was four years old i know yeah that that's tough but the thing that i think about a lot in that scenario is um do you have you heard of the show alone so they they leave people in the woods by themselves with camera gear indefinitely and they just have to survive and film themselves doing it uh (laughs) and the person who's there the longest wins um i've been getting into it recently my sister recommended it it's actually really compelling television and at at the end of season two the winner had this quote that just really shook me um which was something along the lines of you know suffering is temporary and when the suffering ends the lessons you learn from it are permanent and that really blew my mind because you know applying that to our situation is really powerful because yes you didn't get this diagnosis when you deserved it at four and but you got it now and the lessons that you learned along the way all the people that didn't believe you all the gaslighting that you experienced all of this stuff with your family um it shaped who you were. And the fact that you had all of these things kind of punching you in the face over and over and over and over, and the fact that you developed all of these coping mechanisms and survived that, and you are now, you know, you're, you're like living life, you're doing your thing, you're, you have a cool job, you know, you're a cool person. Like, those are the things that matter the most. And you did that on your own without help because everyone refused to help you. And now you have a diagnosis and everything that you learned along the way that has shaped your perspective is always going to be a part of you. Yeah. I mean, people ask me all the time, like if your family is like this messed up, like how are you the way that you are? And um, it honestly, I feel it was one, I believe that I was born a woman and it was two, I believe that I was born with this condition because um, I was forced to have empathy uh, from, from the beginning. Whereas like my brothers are just like white dudes. So like they've literally, they're white lawyers, like, and men. They so, did like, it. They've literally, <laughs> Your mom must they've be never, there, there is no, there is no like, they have literally no reason to ever question their positions, their beliefs, because they've already won. They've won capitalism. They 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 are in the prime position to have all of the power. So why on earth would they would they be like maybe I'm wrong? Like yeah. they they don't need to. Um, and I think just constantly being like, wow, like I my I constantly feel terrible. Um, if other people actually do feel this way, I want them to feel heard. I yeah. think just having that perspective my whole life um, has like basically allowed me to be 
the person that I am. And I am absolutely grateful for that. And I certainly wouldn't change that. Yeah. Um, but maybe a little earlier. <laughs> right. I, 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 you know, always before, whenever anyone asks, like, would you ever go back and change anything? Now I'm like, I would just like whisper pots, you know, and just like a whisper <laughs> from beyond like pots. And it's funny because like, it's also just like, you know, pots and pans, but, uh, you know, wow. just, just a little, a little hint. Um, this is a sci-fi but, movie yeah. waiting to happen. There's an, ep- do, I know, do you right? Star Trek? Uh, I do. Yes. There's an episode of next generation where they're in a time loop and data, they can send one word back to himself yep. through the time yeah. loop. Um, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting cause it's like, what word do you choose? But you have that answer. You know? I have it. But at the same time, there's like, there's no way, like the, literally the diagnosis began at 1991. Yeah. So like, there's no way I would get it. Right. Um, You'd be like pots, but I don't, what, what does that mean? I know. <laughs> you I time know, traveled, you gave me one word and it was this. I don't even understand. Yeah. Crazy. It's just so weird how uh, things happen. You know, it's just weird to be alive yeah. and to exist and to continue to exist. And then other things happen. And you're like, wow, that was weird. That's what life is these days. I know. I know. It's literally, you know, whenever anything bad happens, I'm, I'm like, life is a river that I'm watching go by because there, like, you know, if someone passes away, like if something terrible happens, if something good happens, it's all just like, I, I can control what I can control. But other than that, like, it's just happening. Yeah, totally. Okay. So you diagnosed yourself. You did, were you yeah. just doing research and you came across pots and thought that it fit? Talk me through this process. So, yeah. So here's what happened because, um, I'm not a doctor and I don't have, you know, all of the language for what my symptoms are, what, what I'm feeling in my body, what is happening. And so I believe that these four things had to happen for me to come with, up with my diagnosis. And here's what happened. I started watching a certain YouTuber. I got a few tattoos in a row. I had a, like (laughs) a personal realization and I got a cold. Wow. So let me explain. (laughs) So before I even like began considering, cause like POTS was like a Eureka moment before I even began considering it. I had started watching a YouTuber um, named Jessica Kelgren Bozard. Have you ever heard of her? Mm -mm. She is incredible. Um, she is a disabled YouTuber, which is like, it's like incredible to see. So exciting. Um, like, of course there are disabled creators. Um, but she was like the first person that, cause I had been watching more like, um, like I'd been watching some trans creators. Like I'd just been watching more like identity focused, um, content because I, I, always I'm trying to learn more and get the best possible language and the most useful possible language to address Mm. people, how they want to be addressed or to see what people need um, in different situations. And so I was just kind of getting more and more into, um, I don't want to call it like alternative creators, but just like non-white men, I guess. Um, (laughs) You're looking for perspectives, perspectives other than your own. Exactly. Um, And I stumbled across her and she is an EDS POTS trifecta mm. type person. Yeah, mast cell um, disease. And yeah, we talked exactly. to we talked to Morgan and with the EDS triad on the podcast. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, so Jessica has these things and um, talks about it openly on her channel. Amazing content. Um, and while I'm watching this, I'm like, wow, that must be like 
so she's talking about her pots. I'm like, wow, that must be so hard. Like, that sounds really difficult. Like, not at all connecting that that's definitely what I have. Um, like, she has a whole video where she's just lying on the floor and is talking about how, like, some days she can't get up. And I'm like, dang, like, that must be hard. Um, so that's that's step one. I, I really believe that, like, somewhere in my head, just, like, hearing the word pots and, like, knowing of the symptoms. Hmm. Step one. All right, step two. I get a few tattoos in a row. Um, I, my best friend passed away a couple years ago and um, I started getting more tattoos. Um, I'm sure, do you, do you happen to have any tattoos? I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. So I talk about this a lot with like my, my, the artists that I work with. Um, but I, one of the reasons why I get tattoos is I like that it's a, pain that you have control over and that has meaning and um that has an actual positive outcome for you mm. um and also it allows you to shape your body which you didn't choose and um anyway the philosophy of why tattoos are dope but <laughs> i got a few tattoos in a row and it was the first time ever in my life that i had ever had to stand so still for so long um, and because when they stencil you, you have to stand up straight because they want your body to be, um, not like they don't want your skin to be stretched in a weird direction. So mm -hmm. you can't like sit cross-legged. Yeah. I mean, you can't be fidgeting while they're putting on the, um, on the stencil. You can't have your legs crossed. You can't do any of the things that I have always done, have learned how to do since my toddlerhood. Um, and suddenly I was like on the verge of fainting a lot. And I was like, that's weird. So that's yeah. the second thing. You're not supposed to faint um, during the stencil of the tattoo. Right, right. They were like, this is so, like, are you, did you eat it's anything? Like, I'm like, this, yes, this I'm This isn't fine. the part like, that hurts. What's going on? I know, I know, I know. So that happened a few times. I was like, that's interesting. Then um, I got a really bad cold. And when you get colds, your symptoms for POTS are significantly worse. Like you're much dizzier. You're much like you struggle sleeping and you, you can't get over it and, and have more digestive issues and everything. Then the final key, the key to everything that brought all of these things together, I was lying in my bed and I had a realization that I had never taken any of my symptoms seriously because my parents never had. Hmm. And as soon as I said that to myself, I'm like, whoa, maybe it's weird that I'm dizzy all the time. And like, like maybe all of these things that are happening to me, like maybe, maybe my fatigue isn't me being lazy. And like all of these things, like all of these symptoms, I was just suddenly like, that's not me. And the, th the, the other great thing about POTS, other than that, you know, you can just put on a heart monitor and stand up to, to diagnose it is that like dizziness while standing up is a very particular symptom. Um, it's not generalized pain, it's, which is, you know, it's not, you know, IBS, like it is a very specific symptom and there's only two things it could be. So when I looked up dizziness while standing, there were two possible things. And I was like, okay. And I, and I, as soon as I saw the list of symptoms for POTS, I was like, it was like reading a story of my life. Like, Everything that I was reading, I was like, yes, 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 yes. And I went down the list and I went to a cardiologist because I was like, how do I get this diagnosed? And um, 
I was like, I think I have this. And he was like, slow down there, lady. It often takes years for people to get POTS diagnoses. And I was like, I'm 29. Yeah. Like, yeah, it does. <laughs> um, and he scheduled me for the tilt table test. And yeah, when I, when I got there, they were like, nothing's going to happen. And the dude that like <laughs> put me on the table was like in shock, like in true shock. And that was the thing that happened. Like as soon as I went to the cardiologist and stood up with my heart monitor on, the nurse immediately was like, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. Like you, you can be nervous at a doctor's office, but your heart rate is not supposed to go that high. Like that, that's, that is abnormal. And it was like the first time that anyone had ever been like, whoa, like there is something serious going on here because there was literal, ev like you, evidence. There was evidence. There was finally evidence that something was there, that something was happening. Um, and yeah, as soon as the, uh, the tilt table test that usually takes 30 minutes ended in four and a half because uh, my heart rate doubled and, um, I was given a diagnosis on the table. Wow. What, what, what so, did yeah, you it, feel in that moment? I, I already knew. I knew, um, as soon as I read the list, hmm. I was like, that's it. Um, like I a hundred percent know that that's what that is. And I immediately, like, I, again, I, as I said, I waited until I got the toll table test to tell my family, but I, I knew, um, it was just undeniable to me. Like yeah. I, I saw the list and I was like, there is not one thing on that list that I have not experienced. And to a degree that no one else I know has experienced. Um, so yeah, it was just immediate relief and every feeling of guilt for every day that I couldn't cook for myself and every, you know, day that I, I missed work and every, day that I couldn't do the dishes because I couldn't stand in front of the sink. Um, and my roommates thought I was a piece of shit. Every one of those moments was just lifted off my chest. Mm. And I felt so I, I honestly felt free. I felt free. And I have never felt that in my life. Wow. That's beautiful. That's incredible. I, I want that. <laughs> I might, is, I'm so close. Relief. I might, I'm either going to get that or I'm going to be told that I don't have that. And it's just freaking me out, you know, but yeah, I, I, yeah. but then on the, on the flip side, there's no cure. So there's ways to okay, manage yeah, it. This is my, no cure. this is my next question is like, what, what do you do with pots? Like, are there treatments? Is this something you just have to kind of learn to manage? So yes, let me just say the joy that I felt uh, getting the diagnosis is probably the happiest I felt in the process. Um, mm. because I did not know that there was no cure <laughs> because I didn't know anything about it. Um, I did not know that there was no cure. Uh, there is research and because of COVID even more research. Um, and right before COVID hit, actually, someone may have discovered a, um, a therapy uh, that could help. Um, basically, like the the hypothesis is that um, like your genes, like like a switch is flipped, and like there is a a natural process in your body that prevents it from from having pots. But then, like some switches flipped, mm, yeah, um, yeah. and then this could flip it back. Wow. Um, but things were kind of put on halts. Uh, there's a possible study that. Um, that could lead to a, to a medication in 10 years. Um, as it is, there are management, um, there are management techniques and I've worked out most of them. Um, 
I already was drinking four liters of water a day. And I thought it was because of my, the amount that I weigh, which is a normal adult human weight. Um, but <laughs> it's just because literally what you need to do when you have pots is eat a lot of salts, which I already did and was like, I wonder why my sodium levels are never high and drink a lot of water because basically what that does is it bolsters your uh, blood plasma levels. Um, our, also our, our, um, the way that our bodies process salt is, is much like faster and more readily than other people. So it's not a problem for us to eat more sodium. Um, and our bodies actually need it. So it bolsters our, our blood plasma levels and basically gives us like in quotes, more blood. Um, which of course helps when, you know, all of your blood is in your feet. Um, just having more, um, and the other, the other major therapy is, um, doing physical exercise, Hmm. um, not pushing yourself to the point where you have symptoms and doing very specific exercises where you're mostly horizontal, um, in order to not trigger your symptoms, but building muscle so that again, the main, so that you can basically help out your body and push your blood around yourself with your muscles. Yeah. Um, So those are the two main treatments. Um, And then for me, the things that have been most helpful are, so I have always struggled showering. Um, We were just talking about how hard it is to shower. Uh, For POTS patients, heat and um, heat is a a huge trigger, which explains why my year in India was so hard. Terrible, uh, like because my symptoms were so bad. Um, so showering is very difficult because you have to stand still in a hot box um, and, and put your arms above your head, which naturally raises your heart rate. So um, showering, I, I, and again, this is another thing that people were always like, you're gross. Why don't you shower more often? And I'm just like, I don't have an answer for you, but I hate it. I cannot, I can't do it. It's terrible because literally when I shower my energy, that's it for the day. Yeah. Showering is it like that's, that's the energy is spent. Um, but getting a shower stool, huge game changer for me. Um, I have one as and well. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's like, I'm like, wow, I can shower and do one other thing today. That's amazing. Right. Yep. Um, so getting a shower stool was really great, which again, like, when you're in a mindset that you're a healthy adult, you're not going to ask for the seat on the subway. You're not going to get a shower stool because that's for people that need it in quotation marks. Um, You're not going to do any of these things because you're a healthy adult and you should be able to handle it. But it's like these small things like that, you know, are seriously affecting you then like snowball and affect the amount of time that you're actually good and like the amount of time that you can actually utilize um, and, you know, use for things like hanging out with friends. Like if yeah. you're constantly like, I'm, you know, so not only the shower stool, but I also have a like bar stool that I got for the kitchen for like cooking and cleaning. Um, <laughs> I incredible. Do that as well. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love yeah. my kitchen bar stool. Um, and I also, I don't know if you have this one. I, well, I guess because you use a wheelchair, you might not need it, but there's a, like a portable stool that I carry around. Oh, It's like, I have this little like kaleidoscope stool and it's like this wide and it lays, it weighs less than five pounds. 
And I carry it with me, like whenever I know I'm going to be on the subway and I don't know if there's going to be a seat, especially because I have an invisible disability. I don't want, I never want to have to explain myself to a stranger. Hmm. And you know what I mean? Um, And like, it's like a double-edged sword. You can present as able-bodied, but you'll have to explain yourself if someone questions you. So um, there are pros and cons, but yeah, I can always have a seat on the subway. I can have a seat when I'm waiting in line at the grocery store. Like all of these things like add up to me being able to be functional um, when those little, what seem like little things um, are so huge um, for someone who, yeah, for their whole life was just like, I guess I can only shower once every two weeks. I guess that's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, you, you're learning your body, you're learning your limits and you're extending your limits by giving your body breaks and it makes perfect sense, you know, and with, with so much chronic illness, some light exercise can be so beneficial, but it's really tricky because first of all, um, it can be either really painful or really exacerbate your symptoms at first. And, um, oh, my brain is, I'm starting to lose my, dang, my brain is, I'm losing it. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I mean, I know like everyone in the POTS community when, you know, basically it's like, hey, people with extreme fatigue, the cure is exercise. Right. Like it is the most daunting thing because for so much of our life, um, upright exercise has been very traumatic. At least for me, that was the case. Um, and like, like knowing how exhausted you are on a daily basis, trying to, trying to make the mental leap of doing more work now while I'm so exhausted, I can barely get up will mean that later on I'll be able to barely get up is so it's, it's so hard. Like for someone who doesn't have a disability, it's like, imagine the longest day at work and it like everything went wrong. You stepped in a puddle, like a a pigeon shit on your head. And like, you haven't, eaten yet during the day and like like everything went wrong in the day and you're just sitting down for bed and that's like how we wake up yeah and so trying to be enthusiastic about a plan that literally requires your physical effort is one of the most daunting things um that you can ask yeah honestly because for us energy is currency it's it's like the most precious currency that we have and you have to spend energy to make energy yes and 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 for like like you're like oh my god i have an hour's worth of energy why can't i do what i want in this one hour that i have why can't i do something nice for me when i'm not trapped in my bed why can't i go to the museum or do whatever why do i have to like, LOL, go to a museum. Okay, why can't I watch TV? Because I want to. Like, why can't I do that? And it's like, if you have that one hour, hour of energy, it's so crucial yeah. to like use it wisely. But it's just so hard when everything is, when energy is, is your most precious currency. Yeah, it's, it's a balancing act that's incredibly difficult. Um, it's like a tight wire that you're trying to walk down. And the problem is that, you know, your body like needs motion to generate some energy and your body in particular needs motion to get that blood moving. Um, 
but the the motion you only have like a limited window of, of being able to do anything. So you have to choose the right thing to do because different things will exhaust you differently. You know, like having yeah. an awkward social encounter for an hour is more exhausting than some light exercise. <laughs> you know, there are, yeah. uh, there are emotional strains that can be really difficult energy wise as well. Cause I really do feel like our pool of energy um, includes emotional energy, you know, your, your physical 100%. energy and your emotional energy, I think are all kind of interconnected. So yeah, for me, like getting a wheelchair was this aha moment where it's like, finally, I can do something, you know, like, finally, I can, I can like go out and go for a roll and get some exercise, move my arms, get my body moving, not using my legs, which have been, you know, a lot of my body pain and like recently, a lot of just like burning pain has been in my legs. So the more I stand, the more pain I'm in. Um, yeah. Yeah. So get off my feet where I was also have just like constant pain in my right foot. Get in the wheelchair mm -hmm. and I can do stuff. I can get some exercise. It just picked up everything in my life and kind of lifted it all up a level. Um, and I don't even know what I have. But I, you know, when I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, light exercise was the, the treatment regimen. And I had years where that worked really well for me. Uh, and, you know, like mm. going for light jogs. Oh, I miss that so much. I love light mm. jogs or just yeah. biking to work and finding things that were fun, playing some racquetball. Um, but if you go too far, if you go too hard, you hit a wall yep. and it can be really, really, really hard to to get over that wall or to go through that wall if you have to. Um, you know, I, you can absolutely trip yourself up and get back into flare up because you exercised so easily it's really yep. really difficult to walk this fine line so for anyone listening you know like getting down on the floor doing some stretching doing some light weights or something find something safe and easy and uh very 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 light and don't push yourself yes. but do something you know if you can yes yes and um absolutely um i have found that like I, the thing that that also is very frustrating is that for able-bodied people, the narrative when you hit that wall is keep pushing. <laughs> right. And when you when you think you're able-bodied and you're not, <laughs> you do it and cause a bunch of flare-ups and cause your life to fall apart again. Um, and 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 that's the case for everything. Like that's why like grad school went so terribly for me because I pushed every. Like I pushed my anxiety limit. I pushed my sleep dep deprivation limit. I pushed everything and I was bedridden. I almost, I'm, I'm convinced I almost died. Like at, I don't have evidence because I went to a heart doctor and they said I was fine, yeah. but um, I'm convinced I almost died. So um, every, and we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, like every narrative in America is pushed through the pain. And for us, that is not, Mm -mm. So it's not going to solve it. It's not going to solve it. It's going to make it worse. And um, that that cannot be, I feel that shouldn't be the approach anyway. Like if there's pain, maybe stop. I don't know. Yeah. Honor, um, honor the pain. But, your body is telling yeah. you something. And just because yeah. you don't speak body and know what your body's saying doesn't yeah. mean that what your body's saying isn't important. Absolutely. Um, what are the exercises, yeah, exercises that work for you? Yeah. So, um, because of like my childhood, I actually like have a, a pretty big bank of various exercises and, and know what will work for me and be the least symptomatic. So, um, what I do is, um, planks, 
horizontal. Um, I do like side planks and like front planks. Um, I can't do push-ups anymore because um, I have carpal tunnel in both wrists, but um, I do planks. And then I do crunches. I do leg lifts. Um, and again, this is all like, let's be clear. Um, this is like, I started five minutes. I, I did five minutes the first time yeah. I did five minutes because I have been so traumatized from exercise, exercising upright and, and having this narrative of pushing through the pain, causing so many issues throughout my whole life that like, and having all of that tied in with like body issues as a woman, um, like trying not to think about this as me trying to fix my body, but more like doing it so that I have the energy to be with my loved ones. And so that I have the energy to, you know, be able to be a part of society more like reframing it that way. Um, but yeah, so sit ups or like crunches, um, leg lifts. And then what else do I do? I do lunges, but like 10, like before I'm symptomatic. And then again, just like everything, just pushing the limits of, of symptomatic. Um, and I also got a like reclined bike. Like it's kind of like you sit back and do little like biking, um, on Amazon for like a hundred dollars. Um, because I didn't, I feel that the gym is not a place for people who are trying to exercise in a, in a way that isn't scary. Um, because like, what am I going to go into a gym for 10 minutes and have people laugh at me? Like, I don't want that. Um, it's scary to go into a gym and only do what you can as a, as a disabled person. Like it's, it's scary to go into a gym anyway for anyone who isn't like a muscle dude where like, that's their element. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't want to walk into a gym and walk out 10 minutes later and feel shame. I want to like do my exercise when I feel the best out of the day. And then only do the amount that I can and feel good about it and move on. Yeah, that, as you should do. I mean, there's there's times where I've tried to do like just a couple of yoga moves, like two minutes, two moves. Yes. And that's plenty. Yes. You know, if if that's yes. all you got on that day, that's all you got. And then other days I'll go for long rolls in the wheelchair. Um, I'll go out for an hour and and it'll be incredible. But then like some days I go out for five minutes and I'm so exhausted i just go right back home and listening to your body and learning what your body needs on different days with a dynamic illness is really is really tough so okay so you got some management going on now and how how do you integrate this into your work i will say too before i answer that question getting a dog was Mm. essential for me because it forced me to walk every day um and for me basically what you're doing with these exercises is like conditioning yourself to be able to stand up with less like stress on your heart and stuff. Um, and I noticed as soon as I got my first dog, like walking every single day, regardless of like, like, yeah, like, and like walking for me, like I could, you know, just pop out with him if I needed to, or I could go for a longer walk if I needed to. That's why I recommend getting like a middle-aged dog. Hmm. If you're someone who's like more energy struggles with their energy, because a puppy is a lot, like you don't want to deal with a puppy, like a middle-aged dog, people aren't adopting them. So you're going to get it like much easier than a puppy. And like, they're going to be a little bit calmer. Like they're going to more go with your schedule. Like, but walking every day was essential for me. Yeah. Um, Great tip. But yeah, moving into like the work thing, plus like, you know, 
dogs are amazing and they raise your, yeah. your, your joy levels every day. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, in terms of work, um, I like, am so grateful for my situation. Um, and it's, it's funny. I did not get, I was unemployed for like two years. Um, and got this job right after I got diagnosed. And I was like, like, I, I could not, I mean, like, I, I don't believe in God. It's fine if you do. I don't believe in God personally, but like what, what happened in those two years was I was able to spend almost every day on the phone with my best friend before she passed away. And I was able to figure out my diagnosis hmm. before I was forced to work every, like before I was forced back into like the workforce yeah. and like those two things would not have happened. I, I don't think those two things would have happened. And I don't think I would be a setup as well in my job with my accommodations. Like if, if I had gotten the job earlier or whatever, like the timing was just like unbelievable. Um, and I like, of course, during those two years was like, I hate my life and I'm a, a piece of shit. And why can't I get a job and all this stuff? But like, looking back, I'm like, <sighs> lucky, lucky. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, before I got this job, like, I've kind of alluded to it, but, but every time I would kind of get myself situated, things would fall apart because I was trying to do the nine to five thing, um, which does not work for us. And, um, I, I was like, because you have to stick to such a strict schedule and be there in person, um, I would just exacerbate. I would literally every single moment that I wasn't at work, I would sleep. I would be sleeping. Um, there was not like, I alluded to it a little bit, but in grad school, like I, I, I lost my mind and was bedridden and like was, would not excuse, excuse this, but would not, I couldn't, I couldn't shit more than like once a week. Like my symptoms were unbelievably bad. Um, and I was like, it's just depression. Um, but yeah, I'm so lucky to have the job that I have now because I had my diagnosis and I could, I applied without saying that I was disabled because um, people with disabilities get discriminated against, didn't say I was disabled, got the job and was like, hey, so who, who do I talk to about accommodations? Um, I have this diagnosis. And because it's, I, I work at ABC, so I was fairly confident that they would not do anything that would get them sued. Yeah. Um, so they were like, yeah, just let us know, like anything that you need. And I was like, fantastic. Would it be possible if like after every day that I have to work in person, I get a day of rest? And they were like, absolutely. And I was like, like, this is a, a literal dream. Wow. Like, and so, yeah, like not only like, and I, I asked you like, I have a situation where I can, I have as much access to like food and water as I need in certain jobs. You don't. Um, and cause I worked at an archive at one point, you couldn't drink water while you were working on the floor. Um, I like have full access to, I, I know this is like silly, but I have full access to a bathroom whenever I need it, which is like very important. Yeah. Um, which also isn't always the case. Um, I can sit down for as long as I need. They let me keep a yoga mat at work so that if I need to lie down and get more blood to my head, I can, if I'm like feeling faint. Um, I, I just, ha I, 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 
And, and let me tell you, for like people with short energy, the fact that, that I can have a day off for every day that I have on is a lit, is a game changer. Like I, yeah. I, it is, it, it, it changed my life. It changed my life. I was like, wow, I can actually work a job. Like, because before, honestly, the reason that I went into academia was like, I know I can't do a nine to five job. What are jobs that I can do that aren't that? like that still have like a structure in, because I also knew I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't work for myself because I know that working your own small business is working 24 seven. So like, what can you do if you can't work a nine to five and can't work t- for yourself? Like, yeah. I guess be an academic. I don't need like, that was my solution. And that, that was a mistake. Um, because that is also working 24 seven. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with a di- that's what people don't realize. Like a diagnosis carries so much weight and so much power because y- you know what you need and have the power for other people to hear it, I guess. It's so hard to explain, but that's what it is. Yeah, you have you have weight behind your requests. Yeah. Instead of, you know, just being dismissed. Which, I'm just lazy Michelle and I don't like working, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I have loved hearing your story today. There's so many relatable pieces to it and some real nuggets of wisdom and thing like actionable things that other people can do for themselves. Um, just so valuable. I'm so glad that you came on the show. It's been so much fun. Um, I have one last question for you. So, I always like to ask people what they'd tell someone uh, who was just diagnosed with their disease. But I feel like in your case, we have this, you, you've given us so many actionable things for people who are diagnosed with POTS. Um, but the thing that, that is, I think, even, even harder about your story was the family gaslighting. The fact that your family didn't believe you and kind of made you feel like you didn't matter. And your health didn't matter your whole childhood. And not just your family, not just your family, but your doctors as well. So that is such an isolating position for a child to be in. And you made it. You made it through. You know, I know people don't make it through that. So what would you say to someone who's in that position right now? It is like I I can't describe how hard it is for a child. If you're a kid in a situation and you know something is wrong, just trust yourself. And I I guess trust yourself, but it's like so hard to say that because it took me 30 years to trust myself because I had grown up in that situation. So it's, it's just so hard. What I want is for the parents to listen. Yeah. What I want is for parents to believe because a child is the most vulnerable is, is in the most vulnerable position and they have no advocate, but you as a parent. And if you take that away, they have nothing. And like, no, no one believes a child. So believe your child, like, because children just have no power. Yeah. I've asked you an impossible question, and that is as good of an answer as any. But I will use you as an example, because the one thing that I will say is that I can't imagine what it must feel like to to not have any support, you know? 
and to feel like what you know about yourself and who you are, to have that constantly be denied or to feel unsafe to be who you are um, because of the environment you're growing up in, there will come a time when you will choose your environment, you will choose your family, and you will be able to live your truth. And you're an example of that. You're someone who's made it through 100%. and you are now living your life on your terms. And I mean, you're an awesome person, you know, and the world would be worse off without you. So the fact that you made it through is, is so admirable and it's something that can be done. Yes. I think it, it seems it, that is probably the better, it seems insurmountable. Um, and it's, it's, it isn't, it isn't insurmountable or it, it's so hard because you don't want to be like, you can overcome anything if you try hard enough, because that's what we've been told our whole lives, but we just had a disability. And like, it's not, a, it's not necessarily yeah. even about mental state, but it's like, it's like everything this changes. too shall pass, right? Yeah. Everything changes. This too shall pass. Like it, it has permanent. to be that mindset. Right. Yeah. It's not permanent. And even if like, I think that it's wonderful to find a community, even of undiagnosed people, because your story will resonate with them just in being undiagnosed. Like, even if you don't have a diagnosis, people will understand you for doctors not listening to you or family members not listening to you or friends making value judgments on you. Um, so yeah, join Facebook groups. Yeah. Um, that has really helped me yeah. for sure. Um, and I know like other countries like don't even recognize POTS yet. Um, like I was talking to a girl in France who like, she's like, here's my heart monitor. This is the evidence. And, and the doctors just say it's not real. So um, there's people in other countries, there's people all over the world. You're not alone as, as hard as that may, as hard as it is for the people who should be closest to you to reject you. Um, there are others. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, when the family that you are born into doesn't provide you with what you need as a human, that's always going to hurt. But when you find chosen family, there's so much joy and companionship and understanding that can be found. And to have to wait your whole childhood to feel that is awful. It is awful. But it, it happens. You, you, it happens, you know, yeah. You've lived through it and you're still here and you're sharing your story and you're making someone else feel seen and heard by sharing your story. And you're helping, you're helping the next generation of people with POTS to have an easier time by putting this information out there. And that is massive. That is so important. So thank you so much. You've done an incredible job today. I, I've loved this conversation. I can't wait to share it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. 
Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, and Brooke Walters Schmidt, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, and Ensign Q. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Major Pain Podcast.